What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Hustle Project Podcast. This is your host, Nick Marcos, and this is my newest project where I'm sitting down with local business owners and community members who truly embody the hustle mentality. We're going to dive in deep and get their amazing stories of the ups, the downs, and everything in between. So whether you're an entrepreneur, you want to be an entrepreneur, or you're just someone who enjoys hearing the stories behind our community's movers and shakers, this is the podcast for you. So tune in and take pride knowing that we have these great people with incredible stories living right here in our neighborhood. Make sure you tune in weekly for our newest episodes. For more information, check out our website, hustleprojectpodcast.com, or follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Hustle Project Podcast. Enjoy this week's episode, guys. Chris, welcome to the show, man. Happy to be here. So I want to get to know a little bit more about the backstory. Talk to me a little bit about the beginning. So what was sort of like your first endeavor into being an entrepreneur? I mean, we, we both grew up in families full of entrepreneurs, but what was your personal first thing? Honestly, I could probably tell you I knew I was going to be an entrepreneur when I was probably 10, 11 years old. I had a paper route. And I used to do my paper route, and everybody had a paper route back then, but it was something about me. Like, my mother used to always say to me, like, you have a gift of gab, you're like a born salesperson, you just love people. And I just knew that I was going to pursue something where I was going to be on my own, doing my own thing. I would, deliver pe- I would deliver the newspapers, and I would either be selling something from the school, which I always won, like, I, I would always kill it at school, like, I would win like the competition whether it was like selling raffle tickets for the church or the school or you know whatever it was I would get on that so I was always doing something on top of the things that I already was doing you know by the time I was 16 years old I worked two jobs then I wanted to become a DJ I opened up a DJ company and when I opened up the deep yep go hold, on. hold on one second yeah. so so where did this come from I mean working two jobs <clears throat> when you're 16 years old is unheard of I, I just mean, it's hard it, enough to get a kid it, to work part-time <laughs> yeah yeah no absolutely and it's funny because it was never the money that drew me mm. and I always think like people have this misconception of people who want to hustle that it's always about the dollar right but it ain't with me like I could hit Powerball right now for a hundred million dollars I don't think it would affect my life tomorrow I'll be chasing it's a different dream like I don't chase the dollar right I, I chase the the passion of just saying I could take something from nothing and turn, and it, into turn it into something right you know when I come here and I see you guys and what you guys have done, it, it, I love it because it's like, I remember you guys going from something small to something so big. Right. It's impressive. So on my end, I remember how I went from a paper route to, to owning three barbershops. To owning a DJ company, oh, yeah. to opening up my own coffee shop at 20 years old. Like, you know, and it's been a roller coaster. Like, I'm up and down. Like, I wish that I had a back, you know, I wish that my background had a little more business sense to it because I probably would have made a, a few more professional moves and learned a little different. I think I've learned more at 28. That's when I really started learning. But um, yeah, I just, I love the hustle. So I love the funny, grind. It's funny you say that you, you know, it's not the money that drives you because I feel like growing up in a family full of entrepreneurs, the money is what drove most of that. Right. And when it's money that drives you, you're not necessarily looking to help other people. Right. And so when a young entrepreneur is on the come up within your family and you just don't necessarily help that person, 
it's almost obvious why. It's not what you like to do. So right. it's someone like you who's not doing it for the money. You, you enjoy the struggle. You enjoy the grind. You enjoy the battle. You're, you're in it to, to fight. You enjoy the fight. Oh, yeah. I like so to when get you my see hands someone, dirty. Right. So when you see someone else gr- starting to grind like I did when I was coming, because well, I'm 10 years younger than you. Right. And so, uh, you know, you're out, you already have your first business. I'm still in high school. You know, when I, when I do start my first business, you're already established. You have a home. You're starting your family. And you're reaching out to me because you see someone else sort of entering that battlefield saying, you know what, this is how, this is how we help each other. That, to me, was paramount for, for my upbringing because I didn't, you know, there's a lot of people out there who grow up in big families or even small families. They just don't have that support system. That support system is, is what cradles the egg, you know, and, and the egg needs to be cradled once in a while or needs somewhere to, to get advice or whatnot. And, and, and for me personally, um, I didn't have that from my extended family. It just wasn't available. It wasn't something that was there. But there were guys, there were a few guys like you and some other people that really was out, were outgoing about it. And I think I'm starting to understand now why. And it's because money was not the driver. Never. Was not the driver. And I think it's a really cool thing to be able to share with, you know, with your family this wealth of knowledge that you acquire hustling every day. And then when someone else is on the hustle to be able to share that with them, that's such an amazing thing. Thank you for that. Oh, I, listen, thank you. Are you kidding me? This is great. I'm, <laughs> so to, tonight, honestly, I mean, here's a perfect example. I'm, I'm getting interviewed by you, and yet you think that I have a great story, and I'm more intrigued by the fact that you're taking something to another level. So it, when, you know, that's the best part about you know, being an entrepreneur is watching other people around you like this world is so big yeah it's not about me it's not about you it's, it's about not. everybody and, and the not. thing is you know listening to somebody's story is so powerful because that's what's going to grind tomorrow tomorrow right. i'll wake up in the morning i'll go to work like i do every single day but i want to be at work and i'm going to think about what happened today and i'm just going to be so like motivated motivated right. by it i'll be talking about it all day not talking about the fact that i got interviewed on a podcast but more talking about the fact that you know, people that are around me have taken something and look what they've done and things like that. So it, it's a gift. It's like reading a book. Like, I love reading because to me, it inspires me, you know? Yeah, it is. And that's part of the reason I'm doing this is that, you know, like I've said before many times, and I'll continue to say, I was blessed to have success pretty considerably early, just right. like you were. I think one of the first things I'm feeling is this obligation to gratitude, this idea that you got, you, it's not yours to have it's yours to share oh yeah gratitude is the attitude my friend yeah i love that so for me it's you know it's i have to so how do i give back right and you know and you and you have your own way of doing it and i have my own way to do it and that's why i started the podcast is really to help other people in the community first of all to understand that there are real people behind these businesses these are great businesses these are great people and they have amazing stories and they can provide um a, a lot for different people they can inspire you they can just help you understand where this person comes from and then there's other people entrepreneurs, young entrepreneurs that are grinding it out and they need to know that it's not glitz and glamour. It's hard work. There's a lot that goes into to, to having success in the entrepreneurial world. So talk to me a little bit about when you're growing up now, you went from a paper route, then you started your own DJing company. Um, you said you owned a coffee shop. That was your first, I'm assuming, brick and mortar That was business. That was big. <clears throat> when I opened up my coffee shop, I was actually working at a roast beef place in Malden and a pizza place in Georgetown. I worked every single day. I would go back and forth until I made enough money to pay for that coffee shop, which I 
partnered with my dad, and everybody thought that, like, you know, that my dad's it. place. But it wasn't. Like, I legit, me and my dad were like, oh, we're going to buy this. And, we, you know, I came up with my half and went into it. Um, at that time, it was very tough, and I love my dad, and he's always been my, you know, my role model that I always looked up to. But I realized at that point, and this is where it's important, you know, we talk about family and how we cradle the egg, but you have to inspire these young kids because we've grown up where we only know one way. Your dad went to work, he worked behind the kitchen, mm -hmm. and that was it. And he didn't try anything different. He had one menu, he, he, that was it. When I ended up going in business with my dad, I was like, a, like an asteroid and my dad was just like a force field. Like, it was, it, it was bad, <laughs> well, but like, well said, yeah. yeah, like, it, it, I struggled with that. Like, I ended up going like two, three years of somebody who went to work every day, like Mr. Magoo, just opening the door and leaving. And I would say to my dad, hey, why don't we try this? And he'd be like, no, 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 nobody wants not that. Not a risk taker. Like no. most old timers, they're not right. entrepreneurs. They're just self-employed. They're not risking anything. 100%. Right. So... At that point, I, I let go of that, and I went and I got sponsored because I wanted to become a stockbroker. So I, I paid $500 from a company out of the Wall Street Journal, started studying for my Series 7 because that was something I always wanted to do before I went into the coffee shop business. And I had to let go of that whole thing with my dad, and it, it broke my heart. But, right. like, honestly, when you're a kid or anybody in the community that is that wants to be you know, heard he wants to be an entrepreneur, you have to inspire him. You cannot hold them back. No, you can't. You don't, you shouldn't engage in an agreement and a partnership with someone who is so, you know, progressive right. about business unless you are also, if you're a conservative, and unless that agreement exists beginning, right, right, right. at the beginning, it's not going to work out. But it, what a great learning experience it probably was. I mean, oh, not only yeah. for, for building a relationship with your dad and working through adversity, but just, you know, Handling transactions, speaking to customers. Yeah, Coffee shops are a high-volume business, so you get a lot of interaction. I grew up in a diner, so you, you get a lot, a lot of interaction. You get Your customer service skills can be sharpened very well in a diner or in a uh, coffee shop setting. It, it, was, it was probably one of the best times of my life. I used to play games with the, the people who would come in, and we would say, how many, how many customers do you think Chris can do in a row without asking them what kind of coffee or what they wanted in the morning? And... It, my skills of like, even to this day, friends of mine call me the sponge because I remember everything. Right. It brings me back to those days of the, bar, the the coffee shop where somebody would come in and be like, Nick, large, large black coffee, uh, cornbread grilled, you know, and they'd turn around. They're like, how do you remember that? And I was just, it was like robotic. Like, I loved no, it. That's your gift. Yeah. Like I, and it wasn't the gift of memory, you know, their order. It was the gift of re remembering who they were. Like I was... I, I would ask them who they were, what they did. You know, it was Nick the lawyer and John the, right. the you know, the farmer. And, you know, then that's kind of where I'm at now in the barbershop because I brought those skills mm -hmm. up to date where I am now. Right. So you, you leave the coffee shop and you get your Series 7. Yep. And then what? I actually was working for MetLife, mm -hmm. and they... How old are you now at this point? I'm like 26 years old. I went and helped out a friend open up a business, and I was studying for the Series 7, and these guys from MetLife come up to me, and they're like, hey, um, your friend Chris that owns the place said that you wanted to be a broker. Come work with us. That's what we do. And I wasted a year, and that was not what they did. Why do you say wasted? What, you hated it? No, oh, but they, I stopped. I, so I never took the seven. I ended up having to take a different test. So I stopped studying for that, went and took three other tests, um, 
what I wanted to do and what they had me doing were like two different things. So I gave it a year, and then I ended up uh, leaving and opening up a pizza place with my so how, so my brother. It's just jumping all over. Oh the yeah, place. dude. The, like I said, you just want. So you you really just wanted to hustle. You you didn't care. This is something that we share in common. Yeah, I, I'm not too worried about what I'm doing. Right. I just want to be doing something. Absolutely. Yeah. I always tell people tomorrow I could wake up, flip the chapter in a different book. If I wake up tomorrow and say, hey, you know what? I'm going to sell all my shops, and I'm going to go open up an organic farm stand. Guess what? I'm going to do it, and right. I'm going to put 100% into it because that's my dream, and I want to do it. Like, yeah, I'm not a barber, per se. I'm a business owner. Yeah. You know, an and, entrepreneur. Right, an entrepreneur right. and, and with somebody with passion. So, right. you know, you're selling cars, but... You know, you, your game came from a lot more too. Right, of course. There's yeah. always a story behind it. Of That's course. what this is about. And and uh, you know, it, it's easy for someone to sort of see what's going on today and judge you on that. But there's a lot of stuff going on f from behind there. So, how do you end up opening up a pizza place? Um, you partnered with your brother on this one. This is like typical of a lot of kids in your generation. They all uh, sort yeah. of move towards pizza places and, and, and restaurants. Um, and some of them are st still doing it and they're successful at it. And some of them have chosen different paths. But what was your experience in that, in that business? You know what? I mean, I really had a fun time when I owned Bella Pizza. Um, I yes. never wanted to open up Bella Pizza. Yeah. I was engaged to my, my wife. And, you know, I, my plans were different. You know, I wanted to get out of that 100-hour-a-week grind and really figure out what I wanted to do. And my mother came up to me, and she's like, listen, your brother wants to open up this pizza place, but, you know, it's a lot of work. You know, we'd really like if you went in with them. And next thing you know, I'm partners with my brother. It was kind of just like my dad. We had two different, two different attitudes, two different ideas. But you made it work. I mean, for a while, it was a, it was a success. Yeah, we and had it for is, eight years. This is Bella's Pizza in Salem, yeah. Highland Ave. Yeah, we had it for eight years, and we really did well. We had the whole contract with the city and stuff like that. But it's just, once again, if you have that drive, if you have that drive, it's, you, can't, you can't wait for somebody else to, 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 to be on your train. That's it. Right, like, yeah. And it's not because they're not hustling, too. Right. But if your hustles don't line up. It's a different hustle. It's a different hustle. It's a different hustle. So you, you guys end up moving on. We moved on. He ended up going to a different place, and that's when. Do you consider that um, that part of your life to be like a, a failure or just a lesson, or how did it affect you? I made a decision at Bella's. I went home, and I looked at my wife, and I looked at my kids, and I'm like, I'm missing everything in life that I wanted to be. I wanted to be a dad. I wanted to be a husband. I wanted to be there for my family. And I'm working 100 hours a week, and I'm just not doing what I wanted to do. And I called the guy that I bought the shop off of. And nobody knows this story because everybody always listens to stories through the... But I love to tell my story because my story is real, and this is where I've come from. Because it's probably the best failure that I've ever had. It ended up being the best reward. It, why? Tell me why. You know, I, 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 he, the, the landlord that I bought the store off of at the time approached me and he was like, you know, kind of criticizing my work ethics and making me feel like that, you know, like I was not doing it his way and this is the reason why it's not going as smooth as it is. But what he didn't realize is, no, I put seven days a week in and I'm behind the eight ball because, you know, I, I bought an inflated business that you made you know successful on your end and at this point i'm a 28 year old kid struggling working 
110 hours a week getting paid less than my delivery drivers. Right. So he made a comment, and I turned around, and I handed him the keys. And I walked away. I walked away. I could have chose to sell the store. You lost everything, basically. I lost everything. Right. But like I said, you only feel at 100% of the things you don't try. Right. If I didn't try that, I'd probably still have Bella's right now. Who knows? I probably would be doing well. But I'd be grinding it and working right. it a different type. And not happy. And that's the thing. Being a grinder is different in everybody's eyes. I want to grind, meaning I want to figure out every single day how to get better, faster, higher up the ladder. You know, I want to get to the mountain, but I want to make my own path. I don't want to go through somebody else's. You know, so after I left him, I, I took about three weeks off, and then I just figured out, you know what? I'm going back into business. I'm going to be a baba. I always said that how, I So how yeah. did you, you know, because, it, again, if you look at it right now, if you take a bird's eye view right now, you look at Chris, you say, wow, he's got three successful barbershops, um, and he's been at it for a long time, and he's got a hell of a reputation. And The, the, the thing with the barbershop was, you know, one day I was just like, I just love people. Like, I love talking. And it yeah. almost, like, came to me. Like, I sat there, and I'm like, wow, yeah. I wasn't even thinking about cutting hair. I said I wanted to be a baba because all I thought about was a baba being, like, a psychiatrist, oh, a doctor, yeah. a priest, like, a best friend, like, somebody who is literally an ear to every single person right. every single day. And being that, that, and it's funny you say yeah. that because we were just talking about when you owned the coffee shop, right? And what you really loved about the coffee shop was, was getting to know the customers, talking, yeah. and getting to the customers. So did you actually sit down and say, "Well, this is who I, th these are my strengths," and this is so hard to do, but if you can, if someone out there can figure out and, and acknowledge what their strengths are and cater to that, that's a huge leap forward. So did you sit there and say, "Well, I love to communicate with people. I love to get to know them. What can I do?" I literally probably said I just wanted to talk to everybody. I yeah. want to be a baba. I didn't even really go to barber shops when I was younger. Right. Like, well, they weren't as popular growing up. Yeah. I mean, I went when I was real young, and then I always went to hairdressers. But <laughs> there was just something about the fact that I, I love people coming in, coming in, coming in. Yeah. I mean, at one point in my life, Nick, and I'm being dead serious, I really, really thought about becoming a priest. And I, I, I didn't know this. Yeah, I swear to God. And, and you know, I, I looked into, like, Theology that for a while. Yeah. And, you know, I told, I actually told my priest that, and he used to tell me all the time, you'd make a great priest. And it goes back to, like, all these businesses that I have. It's people skills. You can't teach people skills. Right. You know, even when I'm on my worst day, you wouldn't know. No. Because I take it and I hold it in, but... That's where we're in business. We're in business for people. You're doing this podcast for people. You're right. not doing it for yourself. Nobody's going to come by and beat the horn because you're doing a podcast. It's, but the next person that listened to it might speak of it, and, and right. you might inspire somebody. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, I kind of am doing the podcast for myself. A little bit. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit. It's, for, you know, it's for my own legacy. Um, uh, that's dynamite. Yeah. Well, so talk to me. So you went to school. Yep. And you went, so you went to work for someone else. Yeah, I went and was Square. Was that your, was your intention to go work to s with someone and just get some experience and then open up your own shop? Or did you have to put some hours in? Why did you go work for someone else? When I was in school, they, they was, was going to have his own place in, in 18 months. That, that's how long it takes for you to become a master barber. Oh, because you have to become, so yeah. you had to put time in at another right. shop so that and you I can did. get licensed appropriately. Yeah, okay. and 18 months later, I opened up my first place. Okay, so it literally was 18 months. Uh, to the, the day. 
and tell me about your first place. So uh, for people out there listening, Chris owns three barbershops on the North Shore, one in Wakefield, uh, one in Beverly, and one in Georgetown, and they're called Classic Cuts. And it, it hasn't always been Rainbows and Butterflies. You also had another store that didn't, that didn't pan out as well. You've taken your chance. You're definitely not afraid to take chances. No. Talk to me about that first store and what it meant to you and what it was like getting that thing open and sort of what, what difficulties and what successes you had. Well, I mean, here's the perfect example, and I always say this to people that come and get hired for me. I own three barbershops. I've lived in Peabody for the last 30-something years, and I lived in Lynn. I own a barbershop in Beverly. I own a barbershop in Georgetown. Right. And I own a barbershop in Wakefield. I've never lived in any one of those communities, but we pump a thousand people a week through all our stores. Through stores, yeah. okay? Why? Because you just got to get out there and, and meet people and, and, and yeah. know, you know what it is. I don't rely on friends or family to come. I rely on me. So like, you, you are the secret sauce. The secret sauce is communicating. Well, so tell me about, so you, your first store you opened was in Beverly, yep. right? So what was it like, you know, finding the spot? Why did you pick that spot? Um, what did you th- like? What did you think of the town? Did you think it would be a, the right fit? Like, what, did any of that come into play, or did you? Was it a gut shot? I was just looking through an ad one day and saw a place, and I said, "Oh wow, that looks like cheap rent. Let <sighs> me go and check that out." Went by, and they had a water line in there already with a sink, and I'm like, "Awesome!" I'm like, "This is like a work. no-brainer, right?" So I called the landlord up. I ended up going. I, next thing you know, I said, okay, I'll take it. I'll never forget the day I opened up. There was a hair salon across the street from me, and the woman comes up to me, and she goes, you're not nervous? And I go, for what? She goes, well, you don't have any customers. You were working in Harvard Square. I said, yeah. Well, because not, prior to opening right. Beverly, you were in Harvard Square, so yeah. none of your customers would come. Yeah, nobody would come. Yeah, nobody would come. I <laughs> said, I'm not worried about it. I put the barber pole on. I turned the lights on, and I grabbed the book. And I sat down. Every time I opened up a shop, I, I read more and more. It was like being at a library because in the beginning, it's quiet. Right. But when I read, that's where I'm like, the mind just keeps going. Mm-hmm. Then I pick up the phone and I call a newsletter. And I'm like, hey, right. can you put me into this ad? She's like, okay, next thing you know, one customer comes in. Now, when one customer comes in to a quiet shop, it's like going to confession. Right. You only have two ears that are listening to you. Their mind. Do people generally, I mean, this is a little bit of a curveball, but do people generally open up quickly? Oh, my God. I yeah. can tell you everything about everybody. Yeah, don't. Like, I won't. You kidding but, me? But <laughs> when you sit down in a barber's chair, and for all the guys out there listening, I'm not sure how it works for women. Yeah. I'm sure, you know, it could be the same. But for guys, it's a, it's a really cool feeling. It's somebody you speak to sometimes once every two, three weeks or right. sometimes a month or two. But you always feel comfortable opening up a little more with your barber than you would with, say, another person that you only see once or twice uh, a month or, or every few months. Um, but it must be rewarding on your side because you get to interact with people on a deeper level and you can make a, a, an impact. You can sort of help guide people through troubles and consult with them. Yeah, and, no, you definitely. And you also must grow personally a lot because you yeah. get a lot, everything's in context. You know, you joke a lot about a lot of things, but you also got to remember. You're also sitting there, and you're also the ear to somebody's death right. or somebody going through hard times or, you know, divorce. I mean, I deal with so many different things. You know, a guy could come in that I've been cutting for 10 years. All of a sudden, he tells me his wife just left him. 
or right. his kids doing this. And believe it or not, you get attached to these people and you want to see these people do well. You want to see their life turn around. You want to see, you know, so you don't just become their barber, you become their friend, you know? And that's why the barbershop keeps busy because lots of times people are not even coming in for their haircut. They're coming in because they know that when they get into my chair that I'm going to say, hey, how's your family? Right. How's everything going? Right. It's sort of like what I say about the, like the restaurant business a lot of times. It's everyone's focused on trying to be the best, like have right. the best burger. Mm -hmm. But really, have a good burger and give me a good experience, Ex and I'll come back. Right. The, and the it's at the barber shop. Before I, we go any further, I, I want to make it clear that your shop is called Classic Cuts. Right. And what's cool about it is the name is is actually true to the experience. It's a classic traditional barbershop. There are no frills. There's no 60-inch TVs on the wall with Sports Center playing. I love the fact that you've actually kept the environment minimalist because what it does is it forces social interaction. Yeah, there's chairs to sit in and there's a couple of magazines for people that may not necessarily want to engage. But when you go to Chris's Barbershops and it's busy, people are socializing. And what I like about your shop is that that classic is actually true to the name classic is true to the experience. It's a really cool feeling to still be able to do that. I feel like a lot of barbershops and a lot of businesses in general are trying to distract you, and they use distraction to keep you busy. But engagement is really the ultimate way to get great experience. It's not by putting nice TVs up and showing no. things. It's more about getting them engaged in your business. And in your business, like you were saying, socializing is, is a big part of it. So I come to the barbershop, and I get to talk to people random. Sometimes it's random other yeah. other customers and we start talking sports or we talk tv or or what history it's a cool experience unique to the to the barbershop business do you think that with with everything sort of moving towards online and shop do you think that there's any changes in the works for the barbershop that would ever try to take that could somehow take that away do you think that that is always going to be what a barbershop is you know, when at some point is the Uber of, of barbershops going to come out, well, or people just run the barbershop industry has definitely changed. It's social media with all these young barbers that are coming out have really shaken it up, but they don't get it. They don't get what we're offering. We're offering somewhere that you could bring somebody eight years old and eighty years old and feel comfortable. So if you were sitting down with your dad and you had some guy asking to take a picture of your haircut to post it on Instagram. It's not what they're looking for. Right, and it's, it's so am I correct in saying that although you're classic and you would think it's a lot more general, um, you have a specialty too. It's for people who prefer a traditional style. Old-fashioned. Old-fashioned, yeah. Old-fashioned. We keep it real. We keep it simple. Right. We're going to staple our name in the community where, you know, people are going to remember who we are, right. not what the shop had and what the shop, I mean, I've seen shops, they have great, I would never say anything bad about other people's shops. I've seen some amazing shops on Instagram and people's pages that people have showed me. And customers will be like, Chris, you got to do this. You got to do that. You got to do this. You got to do that. And I tell them all the time, that's not my dream. Right. That's not my grind. Right. My grind is talking to you about your family. Right. My grind is not snapping a picture of you right. and posting it on Instagram with 15 well, hashtags. Well, that's an amazing thing. And I want to get into um, how you made the leap from one store to two stores and three stores. But before we go there... It's, it's pretty amazing that you have a business, a thriving business in today's world that really doesn't engage in social media. 
You're not engaged in social media. You have a page, but you're not active on there. I'm um, 45 years old, Nick. <laughs> I've never owned a computer in my life. Right. That's well, a true statement right there. Yeah, and that's 45 amazing. years old. I know that I look younger, but... <laughs> no, you don't. <laughs> <laughs> but Just kidding. But it, it, in all honesty, it's it's something to, be, to marvel at because uh, today's day and age, it's one of the first things people start to look at. Okay, well, I'm going to blow this up on social. Like, they see it as a... And, it, and it's possible. You can definitely blow up a barbershop using social. Oh, yeah. You've chosen the opposite. You've chosen to make it work without being on social. Do you think that if you added it, it would add to your bottom line? 100%. It would probably not affect the people that are coming in now because those people are so like into the way we've brought it, so they wouldn't even know that we were a part of it. But, um, I mean, you take the word social media. I love the word social that's what I'm doing. Right, right, right. <laughs> I just refuse to put it out there yeah. for everybody else. Okay. You know? It's I want my experience to be from the customer, right. not for somebody that, that just wants to... Yeah, I can yeah. respect that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and if it, the thing is, if it works, right. then how do you argue it? Uh, you know, <clears throat> um, for an outsider looking in, if someone said, hey, I'm looking to open a barbershop, yeah. um, and I don't want to use social media, I would be like, whoa, hey, yeah. what are you doing? Like, you got to use it. But if someone could prove me wrong... Right then how can I, and you've proved me wrong. Yeah. Um, but that's very, I have to admit, that's a very rare thing. If to my be able son to do. became a Baba, that direction would be social media 100%. 100%. I would never sit there and say to him, hey, Chris, don't do social media. Right. I would probably say to him, you need to be part of this. Right. Your generation is all about Snapchat. It's all about Instagram. It's all about Facebook. Right. Take it to the next level and be the best that you can at that level. Right. But I came in at 30 years old. I came in with the intent of doing it the way I knew how to do it. Right. And that's and the, the way old fashioned go. way. It's not right. like you, you branded your store that way. Absolutely. That was your intention. That was a true intention. And, and, and the market always rewards that when, you, when yeah. you really came out as an old fashioned style barbershop and you continue to do that and you're not willing to change, not because of money reasons for one, but Two, because it's not true to your brand. Your brand right. is not about social media. No. It's about old school interaction. I, I love it. So tell me how how do you make the leap from one to two? Did you were you opening your first one saying I'm going to have ten, I'm going to have twenty, or did you say I'm going to open one and see what happens if another opportunity presents itself? Like what do you? So things are going really well, and when I set down my goals, I said when the store hit a certain number a week, I'm going to look for number two, because long term goal, I wanted to make sure that. I can provide for my kids. So I, kn I knew that I had to, you know, hit a certain amount. Right. Um, I told you that, that the money doesn't drive me, but putting my kids in school drives me. Right. So, you know, it brings you back to, like, how we got... It's not at the... The, the money's not at the forefront of your decision-making right. process. Right. Of course, it's a factor. It's a major yeah, yeah, factor. Absolutely. But it's not, the, it's not the key decision-maker. You're willing to sacrifice yeah. money in a lot I of I mean, I've learned a long time ago, somebody taught me this. You know, at the, at the beginning of the year, I put all my goals down on a piece of paper. Mm -hmm. I never write down how much I want to hit monetary. I never do. Right. But I hit it every year because if I say that I'm going to take my kids on a one-month vacation, put my kids into a school, buy my wife this, or take you know this and put an addition on the house, whatever it is, at the end of the year, if everything's checked off, then I knew I hit my money. Right. But I never set a goal that says, hey, I want to make $100,000 this year. Because I think that when you when you put those goals out there, you focus so much on just money that you don't realize you never got there. Right. If I focus on everything else, I've got there and I've enjoyed it the whole ride. Yeah, and it's cool that you found a 
something that works for you. Right. There's different variations that work yeah. for different people, but it seems like you've nailed exactly what works for you. Yeah. Um, so what happened? So how? So, so the second I, store. The second store is probably the best store because I started that. I walked in, I made the lease, and the store that I purchased had equipment in it, and there was nothing in it. I didn't even have a barber. My intentions were to just go over there by myself and leave my other barbers in Beverly. And I put an ad that I was looking for, you know, barbers, and the school called me, and they said, hey, I have these two barbers that I'd like to uh, send over to you. They live in Wakefield. Can they come? I said, yeah, I'll be at the shop. They walked in the door. I took them next door to the ice cream place, and I interviewed them both. Mm. And I told them what I was looking for. I said, I'm looking for two kids to come in and to take over, take charge. Like, I want to build this for you guys. Like, this is not about me. Like, there's not a name on the sign that says Chris's Barbershop. Like, it's a family. Like, right. I'm only su as successful as the team that I build. So they walked out the door, and I'll never forget this like it was yesterday. And I went back inside, and I started painting. And about a half hour later, I opened up the door, and it's the two barbers I just interviewed. I told them that they were hired. And they walked in with painting equipment. Oh, this is awesome. And I said, what are you guys doing? And they said, well, you told us this, this is basically our store. So we're here to paint. And I had both of them working with me up until about a month ago. And one of them just ended up leaving. He's opening up his own place. So these, these yeah. guys were with you for a decade? Yeah, over a decade. Wow, that's awesome. Um, the one that's still with me, um, I mean, I'm so blessed to have him. He's amazing. We actually just, um, this year we're doing a, we're starting a scholarship, Classic Cut Scholarship. And the funny thing is, we're actually calling it the Charles Curry Scholarship. So once again, like, I don't, it, like, right. I've never been a title well, guy. Like, it, 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 it's not an ego play. It's not it's an not ego an play ego to play, me. Yeah. So, you know, I approached them about three weeks ago, and, and I said to them, you know, I, me and, you know, the, me and my wife and everybody, we've been talking a lot about giving you know, something for scholarship and creating something to give back to the community. And I said, and I want to give it to a kid who has leadership sh skills, morals, um, and this is what we're basically looking for. And I said, and I want to name it in your honor. I said, you know, there's a way of wording who, it. Who are we talking about here? We're talking about CJ, the kid that oh, works for you. the kid me. that works for you. Yeah, oh, yeah. okay. So you, so you named the Classic Cut Scholarship after him. The first annual 2020 Scholarship Award will be the Charles Curry Award. And every year it will change. No, we'll probably keep it, and then we'll just add it as it comes. I, my, my, my idea would be to increase the scholarship fund as much as we can and give it to as many people as we can. But um, this year, that's where it's starting. And what is the scholarship for? <clears throat> we're going to probably, we're working on it right now, but w the direction that we're kind of looking for is we want somebody who has the same type of role that he's given to me. For so somebody who's dedicated, leadership. I'm not looking for somebody who's, Academic skills are at the highest because right. there's a hundred scholarships so for many, that. Yeah. We're not looking for sports because there's a million of those. We're looking for somebody who gives more to the community, who's dedicated, who their teacher might say, this kid is got this type of passion. He's always been there for somebody. Right. That's what I want. I want to reward my team by giving that out because I want to show them that you've built my legacy. I'm going to build yours. Like, yours. And, yeah. and, and, Pay it forward. So. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. And so this is, 
So your second store is in <coughs> Wakefield. Wakefield, yeah. And um, when and that doesn't take very long to take off, right? That was sort of an instant success. That one took probably about a year and a half to yeah, get to a point where it was, yeah. That's quick. And so right. you quickly opened up a third, a right. third store. And that one didn't go too good. No, actually, that one was going really well, and I tried to renegotiate the lease. Oh, okay. And the landlord kind of thought I was joking around, and she called your called your bluff. Which yeah. is so funny because it ended up being vacant on the guy for like two years after, and this is where Wakefield turned out to be the monster because when we closed down my Middleton shop, which was the third shop, the third shop, we posted for like three, four months that we were going to be moving, mm -hmm. and we let all our customers go either to Beverly or Wakefield. Right. And then in the end now, um, you know, back to, to 2017, you yeah. opened up another shop. You ended right. up going back to a third shop in Georgetown. Right. My cousin owns uh, Pomodori across the street in the plaza. Mm -hmm. He was getting his hair cut in Beverly one day. He's like, listen, he's like, there's a lot of kids up at this plaza. You need to come up and check it out. So I went up to have a sandwich with them. I met the landlord. Two weeks later, I'm in the place. <laughs> <You're open. laughs> you know, that's how it works. You know, it's kind of like you know driving to a car lot and somebody throwing you a set of keys. I really like to say that I'm an impulse buyer. So right. <laughs> there's a reason why when I go to a, a restaurant, I always tell my wife, don't open the menu. I'm just going to go to right. the bathroom, pick me something. Because I don't like to see too many choices. I like to just get it done. Get it done. Yeah. yeah. So. Moving forward now and looking into the future, I know you have uh, a son and a daughter, <laughs> and they're you know they're in high school. They're going to be seniors in high school now. They go to Bishop Fenwick. Um, do you think any chance that one of them might take over the family business, or what do you see long term for Classic Cuts, and what do you see long term for Chris? I mean, does the hustling stop? Like it, I don't think it does, but what does it turn into? Um, I'm going to probably say right now three shops will be where I'm you know staying for the next two years while the kids settle into college. Um, I don't think my kids are going to come into this business, but then again, you never know how the cards are you fall. Are you open to that? Oh, I, I give yeah. my son a haircut. My son now is a, is a prodigy of that old school 17-year-old kid who thinks that he's the best-looking kid. In the, he gets a haircut once every Sunday. Nice. It's just me and him. We go, we turn the music up, and we just give you know, I give him a haircut, and I say to him all the time, I'm like, hey, why don't you cut my hair? And he's like, what? Uh, and I'm like, you should be learning how to cut hair. You right. better go to college. You can make a little money on the side. He has no desire. no desire. My daughter, though, actually shaved my face at 11 years old. Wow. She's cut my hair already. I could teach my daughter how to cut hair, and I could picture her in college cutting hair. But do I want to see her come and take over my business? No. And I, and I think this goes to the way we've been brought up in the restaurant business. You, if you told me today that you made $10 million selling Cosnick and I said tomorrow to, I'm going to open up a car lot, I'm not going to be that $10 million player. You have to have that passion. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, so I my kids could take over my business, but that's not their legacy. It's not what they want. If right. they were hungry and they wanted it, I'd inspire it. But if they don't want this, then you're just reaping the benefits, but you're not adding to it. Yeah. So therefore, you failed. I agree. You know? I agree. There's nothing worse than forcing a child into something. Right. And so many parents do that. Like, I think the majority of parents, 90% of parents, do that anyways. Yeah, absolutely. They just force them to go to college. They force right. them to pick a major. They force them to work a, a <clears throat> nine to five job. And, but everybody's, like, every, nobody grows up saying, I want to be an accountant. Right. I want to be a bookkeeper. Yeah. Like, there was no kids, I remember growing up, 
who wanted to be an accountant. They wanted to be firefighters and basketball yeah. players and professional athletes. And But at some point, that dream dies. Um, and it's sad. But it happens for the majority of people in, in all aspects. So for a parent to be able to acknowledge that they just want their kid to be passionate about something, I feel like that gives you an advantage um, from stopping something like that from happening. Because to me, that that's that's sort of like, I would consider that from my, my personal failure is if my kids end up working a job that doesn't doesn't provide any sort of right. happiness to them um, to be an accountant or to work in the, you know in the in the data entry department at yeah, some big, gotta, some big you gotta build your own you right. gotta you gotta build your own or add to your own right you know if, if I died and I left my kids 20 million dollars and at the end well don't forget about me right <laughs> and at the end what they had 20 million dollars right they failed right. they did not I agree yeah if they had zero yeah. and they and they gave it away then I'd say, hey, you had a plan. Or if you made it into 40, I'd say that's great. But so many times, you know, people leave kids money or leave them their businesses, and there's no growth after because they're entitled and they just think that, you know, hey, this is great, my father worked hard. But they don't know that their father put so much grind into it right. to get to that point. And you don't want to be that dad. Right, right. No. So what about for Chris? What What's the long-term game for Chris is, you know, Every year for the last 10 years, I, I keep posting that I'm going to finish a book. So I, I'm, I've been writing for probably 25 years. And I have a lot of insecurities that people don't know about. And for 25 years, I've finished a lot of books and a lot of poems and a lot of short stories. And what happens is I, I, I struggle with letting people hear it. You don't want to be judged. I don't. Such a hard thing to overcome. It it's so bad. So you know, I've been working on a few things, and I'm trying. My goal was to finish it by the end of this year, and you know, I know that I first of all, when I put something on a list of a goals, it gets done. Right. It'll be done. And and once again, my kids think it's funny because, you know, I wanted to name the book by the unknown author. Right. And my kids think that the things I do in life are so weird, but I, I try to explain to them, uh, your dad is not that type of guy. Right. Like, I'm so under the radar. Like, I could write a book, it could be a number one seller, and I could sit next to somebody, never even tell them that it was me. I'd rather look at your face and listen to you tell me what it was about. Right. And to me, that would make me more happy than knowing that I cashed a $2 million check. Right. Yeah, yeah. It's an amazing thing, dude, because, you know, I've, I've known you my whole life and I've watched you come up. And as I'm putting this podcast together and I'm starting to think to myself, like, who do I want to highlight? I have to start somewhere, of course, and I got to have a plan. And my plan is really to, to showcase the hustle on the North Shore, the people behind the hustle and... Through doing that, I'm trying to collect that the conversations that we have and what are the similarities? Like, what are the things that we all have in common? And something that's really, really becoming prevalent really quickly is not leading with your ego. No. And I'm, I've, so far, I've done a handful of these, almost a dozen, and everybody I've talked to has been someone that is not leading with their ego. And I feel like you showcase that even more because you're literally saying things like, I don't even want to, you know, you want to be the guy on the basketball team, the star, but right. the only guy without his last name on, on the jersey, <laughs> right. right? Like you, yeah. I'll like wear somebody else. Right. It's like having, I'll be Rodriguez. Right. You know, the starting five, but one guy doesn't have a, a last name on, on his shirt. You're not in it f for the glory. Right. You're in it for the grind. 
I want to I want to close this out before we do. Thank you. And this is on a personal note. Thank you so much for being the kind of guy that does not lead with his ego, because in a world where most people do, you've sort of been that be a beacon for me. So that is actually paying off. I mean, you may not hear it a lot. You may not feel it a lot. But there are people out there who who look to that as a beacon, as opposed to the guys who are looking for the to be stroked so their oh, ego yeah, can be stroked. So it's really nice to know that there's someone in my family that I can look to and, and see and say, you know what, look at this guy. He's doing it. He's, he's crushing it. He's hustling. And he's not leading with his ego or greed. And, that's, and I want to thank you for that. Nick, at the end of the day, this shovel of dirt, doesn't matter how much money you're worth, man. It's the same dirt on all of us. Yeah. So we just have to learn that it's not about us. Right. All right. Thank you, Chris, man. I thank enjoyed you, talking. Nick, man. I had a great time, man. Thank you very much. 